Welcome to People's Church Podcast. I don't know what would make your life better, but a lot of times we think it's going to come down to changing certain things, and a lot of times I think we start changing the wrong things. Changing life is great. I think we need to change. I think we need to grow and all that. Sometimes, though, if it's just change for change's sake, it doesn't actually get your life better. What is it that you need to live a better life? It's, it's a very, very important question for you to answer. Um, more than likely, people are pretty stressed out um, in, in, in and around you. Maybe you are. Stress is a big deal today. I want to pay a little bit of attention to that just to introduce this where we want to go a bit today. Stress, stress is something in life that if we don't know how to deal with it or if we're creating it from the wrong sources, then simply it can rob from you all of the good things in life. And so I'm gonna pay a little attention to that and focus on one key thing as we build this message together. Now, just as a start off, you tell me, let's have a little interaction here. You yell it back to me. They say that there are seven top stresses, all right? Seven main stresses that people have in life. Guess which one is number one? No, I knew you were going to say money. You said money, this one said honey. And I knew you were going to say money. I knew you were. It's not number one. Believe it or not. That, that not according to this particular statistic. It's not number one. Okay, get one more shot at it. Relationships, family, all that. No, you're wrong again. Want to go for three strikes? Um, top, top stress. Now this kind of, it kind of surprised me, but your job. No, then I, did you hear this in the room? Did you hear this in the room? Everybody just kind of, yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, the job. Um, that, that's what came out, number one. Number two, money, money. Number two, they said, money. Three, Health, health, top stress, top three. And then we've got things like this, relationships, poor diet, media overload. Anybody want to guess at the last one? Don't, you'll never get it. But it's so true. Lack of sleep. Did you get that one? You just said that for every one of them. That's all you did. You can't play the game that way. <clears throat> There's lots of things you can be stressed about in life is the point, right? No matter how you want to list them out, no matter how you want to go about, you know, top one through seven and turn it into 14 top, it doesn't matter. Uh, what it comes down to is what are you doing in your life about the different stresses that come? Because life is going to bring a lot of different tensions and potentials for you to be stressed for the rest of your life in a very negative way. So what do we do about that? Well, I'm gonna read a scripture. I'm gonna start in Philippians in chapter four in verse six. And right in these very first two verses, we have uh, already a, a big key into what are, how do we deal with this? How do we, how do we build a better life? Do not be anxious about anything. How many pass that test? Just 
Yeah, got it. No problem, right? Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. That's pretty cool. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Well, peace and stress obviously don't function in the same world when stress goes into the negative factors, which it is most of the time. So what are the things, what are the five fundamentals of a better life that deal with stress and just living? We all go through things in life. We go through losses financially, we go through losses relationally, we go through losses in our health, we go through, we go through losses in, in literally everything in life. You've got, you've got two sides of this ledger. You've got, you've got the gains and you've got the losses. This is what life's gonna bring to you. It's probably gonna bring it to you this week in some way, shape, or form. It's gonna come. And so how do we deal with these? What is, what is he actually giving us here? Because he gives you God's guarantee for peace. He guarantees you peace if you do five things that are listed here. Five things. They're fundamentals. The first is this. It's found in Philippians. Uh, well, let's read verse 7 first. Let's read verse 7, Living Bible. If you do these things, you will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace will keep your thoughts quiet and your heart at rest as you trust in Christ Jesus. Now, what are these five things? First off, he says in this particular passage, Refuse the practice of worrying. Refuse the practice of worrying. How many here need more practice at worrying? You just need more practice. I just don't worry enough. I gotta practice worrying. You don't need practice worrying. Have you ever found that you just don't need to practice worrying? It's just something that you can be good at. You just do it anyway. It just comes. Worry is not something that you have to actually work at. Worrying is something that exists because certain positional things in our thinking are not right. Positional things in the way we evaluate life, on the way we're setting the table of life. Worry is something that we don't have to practice. Look at Philippians 4, 6. Never worry about anything. Oh, man. Not about anything. How about just these things? No, nope, don't worry about those things. Nope, can't. Well, what about this? I gotta worry about this, right? No, don't worry about anything. Aren't there any exclusions in this? There are nothing, nothing's been excluded from this. He's saying you don't worry about anything. And the reasons he does that is simply because it doesn't work. 
It doesn't work for you to worry. In fact, what worry does is tend to take the negative and it gives it way more power. It takes interpretation of things around you into a zone where you will lose all energy and you will find yourself filled with all of the wrong things and you will find you can't apply strengths in life. Worrying is a way to empty your life. Jesus said worry is unreasonable. It's unreasonable. Well, it's just illogical. It makes no sense. Matthew 6, 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? He's saying, and then he goes, in, and then he goes into another one, just a scripture two, two down from that. And he talks about, look at the lilies of the field, how beautiful they are, you know, how God, though, has just made them so beautiful. And if he looks after lilies and he looks after all these other things around us, then why in the world would you worry? He's saying, don't worry. It's unreasonable that you would do so. You see, we negate the fatherhood of God in our life. He is a good, good father. And we, we can negate his fatherhood we can take the power out of his role as our father in heaven. Our father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. You can take all the power out of the God that you serve simply because you're going to worry. Because you are not following his role as your heavenly father. You're negating it. You don't believe he's good. You don't trust him that he's good because now I have to control these things around me. I have to make sure that all of these things are there. I'm the one it comes down to. And he says, no, you're not. That's Jesus' teaching. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. He's saying, look, the father, he has made all these things. He looks after all these things. He sees when a sparrow falls to the ground. Do you think he doesn't know what's going on in your life or what your needs are? Do you trust him though? This is a trust question. Because if you don't trust him and he's the heavenly father and he's good and he's got all these blessings for you, you can't live in them. You've got to trust. The next thing Jesus says about worry is worry is unnatural. It's unnatural. Matthew 6, 26. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? He basically just puts out the equation and saying, look, I look after everything I make. What makes you think that I'm not going to look after you. Don't you know how valuable, how valuable your soul is? I mean, I've sent my son. I paid the price uh, for your sin. I've made my eternal family open to you as an invitation. You can come and be a part of my eternal family. He's opened every potential important door for you. And then he says, I've got plan and purpose for your life. It's unnatural for you as one who put their faith in Jesus Christ, in the Father that sent him, for you to worry. If he would send Jesus for you, what do you gotta worry about? Third, Jesus teaches us that worry is unhelpful. Matthew 6, 27. Can any one of you by worrying at a single hour to your life 
Boy, this is really pertinent today because everybody's into this mystique of longevity. Somehow, uh, the well-lived life is the 100-year-old. Folks, I don't want to uh, be a 100-year-old. Longevity is not what our goal is in life. You've got eternity. How much more longevity do you want? What is our goal in life? That we would trust our God, bring glory to him simply by living out the blessings of his grace in this world and sharing that kind of life with the world. More or less enjoying your life because of the great grace of God and letting other people get in on it. You've been blessed. And now Jesus also taught us that worry is unnecessary, unnecessary. Matthew 6, 30 says, if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. There he addresses it. 1 Peter 5, 7, unload all your burden onto him since he is concerned about you. You don't have to worry because, you see, he is attentive. He's attentive. What is it that's captured your worry today? I will tell you that God is attentive to that, and it doesn't make sense that you've got this amazing God with all this grace and power that he brings to you and into your life, and you're going to worry about that and kind of take that back from him and say, okay, I'll, I'll look after this one. It's totally unnecessary. He's got it. Worry. So you stop the practice of worry. Second fundamental. Apply prayer to everything. Apply prayer to everything. Philippians 4, 6. Never worry about anything, but in every situation, let God know what you need in prayers and requests while giving thanks. So he's bringing up a very simple premise. He's saying... Take prayer out of this formal expression and put it into a relational context and talk to him literally and apply prayer in everything, to everything in your life. Don't worry about anything, but in every situation, every situation, let God know what you need in prayers. Prayer is, you got to take it out of the formal setting and move it into something much more powerful, which is a relational setting. Which means that you're just talking to him simply because you know him and he knows you. And you're sharing with him in a way that is honest from deep down inside. You know, so often we're trying to, in prayer, I think, sound impressive or sound like somebody we've heard pray. Rather than just let your own heart do the reach out. That reach out is absolutely incredibly important for you. So we don't worry. And if we we don't practice worry and we apply prayer, those are two great fundamentals. Now the third one I'm not giving you right now. We're going to come back to it because that one resets the table for all the others we're covering. So let's jump right over to number four. Engage your mind with the highest forms of thinking. Engage your mind with the highest forms of thinking. Philippians 4, 8. Fill your minds with those things that are true and good and right. Think about things that are pure and beautiful and respected. If anything is excellent or if anything is worthy of honor, think about those things. 
This is really an incredibly important part of practicing your thought life. Your thoughts lead your life. They don't follow. Your thoughts don't follow. Your thoughts lead. So your thoughts are absolutely ahead of you in every area. And if you are only thinking the worst or thinking that which isn't good, or if you are allowing your mind to uh, be adjusted to the values of the world around you, and that's how you think and lead your life, you will walk in a worldly valued way. When you deal with your thinking seriously, and you understand that what I'm thinking right now is the future. What I'm thinking right now is my immediate future. Because your thoughts are leading your life. So what are you thinking about your finance right now? What are you thinking about your key relationships right now? What are you thinking about in yourself about the things that you're not happy with right now? What are you thinking right now? Because what you think is really critical to your future. It is your future. You will, your thoughts will certainly lead everything about the rest of this day and tomorrow. Have you ever got out of bed in a really owly mood? Well, that's a stupid question. You get out of your bed in a really owly mood. Your feet hit the floor. And then you have what? A great day, right? Then you have a great day, right? No, you start struggling with that and you struggle with it until you find where you get beyond that kind of thinking. Your thinking leads your day. What you start off with in the morning. When you plant your feet on the floor and if you're not somehow incorporating good thinking about elevating your thinking, what you're thinking about your day. If you're going, oh man, I got to see that person today. Oh right, job is number one stressing, right? So, oh man, I got to work beside that person again today. Oh, here's what I got coming today. This, how many know that that thought is not leading you into a good day. If you have nothing but hopeless thoughts for your relationship, it leads you into hopelessness. Your thinking leads you, it doesn't follow. And so you need to start leading your life, he tells us, by elevating, by engaging with the good things. Think of the highest forms of thinking. How can you think about your day in the highest form way? You can think of, you know, instead of thinking, I gotta work beside this jerk for eight hours, you might think, wow, I get eight hours of patience teaching. <laughs> How many know that might be a better thought? I mean, there's, you can elevate, you can engage differently. You don't have to give in to the lowest level. You don't, have to, you don't have to feed your mind with that because then your mind is developing your spirit in that regards, it's squelching it. It's squelching that which is good and wants to come out in that day. So if you elevate your thinking, you engage it differently and you start putting instead a different kind of thinking in place, you're gonna find that your life starts changing and your future that even in hours looks brighter. Look at the scripture. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts 
are fixed on you. Lord, I got to work beside this jerk today and he's really hard to take. I'm glad you love him. Can you just spread a little of that love inside me here? Because I'm going to need it today. Give me some kind of wisdom that just penetrates through the pushback I get all day long. Give me some kind of insight, Lord, that can bless them instead of just being reaction all day long. Lord, I want to get out front of this. I want to be out front of it. I, I, I want to lead the day. And so I'm leading the day by praying for this person. Lord, I pray that you will somehow capture their attention in life and that there's a God that loves them unconditionally and maybe that could come through me. Help me to be a party to your work in his or her life today. Elevate your thinking. Engage with the highest forms of thinking. Number five, learn contentment. Learn contentment. Oh boy, this is a biggie. Uh, to learn contentment, well, let's just read a scripture here. Philippians 4. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of contentment in every situation, whether I am well-fed or hungry, when I have more than I need or when I don't have enough. Key word you want to pull out of that is that this is learned behavior. But contentment is a powerful, powerful thing. So what is it? A lot of people shy away from being content for they think that being content is like, well, that's just me going to be lazy. Or it's going to be me, you know, just being complacent or fatalistic. Or it's just a person that lacks ambition. No, here's what contentment is. Contentment is enjoying what I have right now rather than waiting for something else in order to make me happy. You know that what's missing in relationships is often not love. It's contentment. The relationship, if properly evaluated, it might have a lot of great things in, in it. It might have a lot of great components that are working. And there can be a love that's really strong in a relationship. But what transpires is when we have this discontentment in our life is that we're not focused on what is. We're only focused on what we feel needs to change or come next so then we can be happy in this relationship. Check your relationship for the contentment level. You fear contentment because you think then it's just going to stall out. No, that is not what contentment is. Contentment's killing the happiness. You know, and so the discontentment's killing the happiness. And why it's killing it is because you're, you can't be happy until something comes along that you've been waiting for that's at next level. Okay, now we're communicating more. Now we uh, maybe have a little more, oh yeah, now we've got more time. Or now we've got, what is it that you think needs to change? And if you're discontent about it, it's going to rob you of happiness. There's something very powerful about contentment that allows us to embrace now. We're allowed to be happy right now. 
It's not happiness someday. There is no life that's going to be perfect in, in the way that it unfolds. I, I, used, I used to think life was just sort of this up and down, right? Where you just kind of go up and down. You got your good days, you got your bad days, you got your mountains, you got your valleys. And you go, you go to the mountain and then you're going to hit a valley and then you're going to come up to a mountain and you're going to hit a valley and all of that, you know? And it's sort of like, it's, it's sort of like that's kind of what I had that idea of. And it's not like that at all. The fact is, is that life is always, even when you're on a mountain, you also have a valley somewhere else in your life. You're, and when you're in a valley, you got a, you got a mountain somewhere else in your life. It's a mixture of both at the very time, same time in the very same space. So what you focus on is really important. And if you only see this rise and fall and you only see the pinnacles of those things, then you basically have cut out real life. In a relationship, you're going to have some good things happen this week and you're going to have some things probably not so good happen this week. That's what's probably going to happen. Contentment allows us to be happy with the realities as we are and to celebrate the things we can and not be lost in focusing on the wrong things. And so contentment is a very powerful thing in our lives. It is a source and a foundation of happiness. In fact, contentment, it actually creates an independence from your circumstances. Because I'm content with what I have. Now here's what really, you know, starts to destroy it in our life. And the first is we comparing. When we start comparing, then what's going on is that we are looking and saying, gee was if I had what they had. Comparison always creates discontentment. Rather than being able to be thankful and to be in the contentment zone of what you have, you're moving into this idea that somehow you need what they've got to be content. And that leads to another thing for learning contentment. You must learn not just to not compare, you must learn to not think that having more is better. Having more is better. You know what I found out about more? Every time I buy something on the more list, then I have to maintain it. I have to keep its oil up. I need to look after it. I need to, it just goes on the to-do list and I got more work to do and so you get another little more and then you got more maintenance to do and cleaning and all of that and then, you know, you add a little more things into the house and now you got to do, you know, some more organizing and you got to do more dusting. You got to do more, more, more is overrated. You can say amen to that. I knew you agreed on that. <laughs> you got to not buy into this. That somehow the more is, is going to create for you a, a happiness that is going to be something that's going to sustain you. It's not. You must learn contentment. And to do that, you must stop thinking that having more is better. There are three myths that we are taught by advertising just by advertising. Number one, having more will make me more happy. Secondly, having more will make me more 
important. Third, having more will make me more secure. And guess what? Guess which one is true out of those three? None. Come on, that was an easy one. None of them are true. They don't make you more happy. They're not, gonna, they're not going to do that. They're not going to make you more important. They're gonna, not going to make you more secure. These are all lies. Ecclesiastes 4. It says, it's better to only have a little with peace of mind than to be busy all the time with both hands trying to catch the wind. That's a cool scripture, isn't it? Busy with both hands trying to catch the wind. Third thing, you need to admire without having to acquire. What is that about admire? Uh, well, admire means that, you know, hey, that's a, that's a pretty cool thing. I don't own a boat. I don't own a boat. I love water. I love being on the water. I love skiing on the water. I love floating in the water. I, I love water. I don't have a boat. My brother has a boat. I admire that he has a boat. I admire he's got to fix it. I admire he's got to pay for the, for the fixes. I admire that he's got to make sure everything's working the way it is. If something doesn't work, I admire that he has to do that. Learn how to admire. And then I really admire he just lets me use his stuff. Learn to admire. Learn to admire. That is something that can help us. Now I want to go back to number three. You ready? This is the biggie. This one resets it. Whether you're dealing with, uh, you know, worry or whether you're dealing with prayer, whether you're dealing with engaging your mind or contentment, here is the first tool you must use. It's the one today I want to I wanna just drive home a little bit. Live in constant gratitude. This is huge. This separates people that are happy and content, people that don't worry. This separates them from those that do. If you have this permeation of gratitude throughout your life, you're not great at worrying. Because you have such a gratefulness towards your father that he's watching over you and over who you are and what is yours, that he has got a plan, purpose for these things. He is walking you through your life. He is truly, he is your shepherd that's leading you and you have no want because he is your shepherd. This is where we take a look at gratefulness. Gratefulness releases good things. It cannot buddy up with things like worry. When you are grateful, just try to worry. What is this powerful thing called gratefulness? Take a look at Philippians 4, 6. 
Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Everything. This is such an astounding thing in, in life. You can, you can walk it and see the power of it. I brought with me a study I ran off from Harvard Medical School. And I'm just gonna quote a few lines out of it. It's got a fair bit of stuff in it. But they did research on gratitude. Research on gratitude. And there's some pretty cool stuff. And it goes like this. They set up these groups, two psychologists. They set up this group. And uh, in one study, they asked all participants to write a few sentences each week focusing on particular topics. One group wrote about things they were grateful for that had occurred during the week. A second group wrote about daily irritations or things that had displeased them. And a third about wrote about events that had affected them with no they had them write about with no emphasis on them being positive or negative. After 10 weeks, those who wrote about gratitude were more optimistic, felt better about their lives, and surprisingly, they also exercised more and had fewer visits to the physicians than those who focused on sources of aggravation. Isn't that interesting? They just did a 10, how quickly can you turn it? They just did a 10-week thing. They had they, the three groups. And this one group get, gets, gets to focus on just gratefulness and write a few sentences what they're grateful for every week. And it changed their grouping so much that it, you could see this complete difference. Gratitude. There's more in it. And they go right into the health of it. They start talking about how it really plays into your health. Powerful thing. This gratitude. Here we find in our lives an accepted model where we don't think in gratitude forms. And there we find things grow. All the wrong things grow. Gratitude is a way of seeing everything in life. It's, it's fundamental for the Christian because we've received our salvation through Christ. We have eternal life waiting for us, complete forgiveness of sins. So there's your base of gratefulness as a Christian. But then go beyond that, all of the things too. You know, when you start getting grateful for the things that are right now in your life and you say, well, it's hard to be grateful. I didn't say it's e easy to be grateful for everything, but he says you give thanks in everything. He didn't leave anything out. He says, I want you to make requests while giving thanks. Read the next one, 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. To do what? To give thanks in. Not for, not for. A lot of things in life you don't have to be thankful for. But he's saying I want you in those things to be giving thanks. You're going to go through some things. You're going to go through some injustices. You're going to experience them. And they have the potential to shape your soul in the wrong way. What stops it? Giving thanks in those circumstances. Thank you, God, that I can trust you, even when my trust has been broken over here. Thank you, God, that I can experience your love when I've been abandoned over here. Thank you, God, that you are a God of justice, of perfection in that, and I, and I have experienced all this injustice over here. You can be thankful in things. 
And that is where strength starts to come. It shapes your perspective on people around you and on everything about you. Let me give you a few things why it's always God's will that you be grateful. It honors God when you are. See, when you honor God with, with, with gratefulness, thankfulness, and you say, Lord, this is rough going. You say, well, who did that, Job? He just loses everything. And then his wife abandons his, his faith in him and tells him to do the same thing. And what does he do? He very simply just says, do I just accept the good things from God's hand and not the things that are, our, that are our adversity? He's saying, I trust God. I am so thankful that when I go through all this and I don't understand any of it, I am so thankful he's with me in it and somehow, someday, this will make sense in his world. You give thanks in all circumstances. It will honor God. It also creates fellowship. A lot of reason why people cannot build relationships these days is that so much of gratefulness has been removed from human relationships. And we're in such, now competitiveness has taken over. All you have to do is go back to the COVID days and when we had toilet paper shortages. <laughs> Wars in the paper aisle. Yes, sir. Give me that. Toilet paper. Gratefulness is a beginning of being able to build good relationships with people. When we are, learn gratefulness, we can find a way to connect with anybody, even enemies. Gratefulness is powerful relationally. It will bring you friends. It will build your friendships. It will build your relationships that are intimate. It develops my faith. We're told to actually pray, as we read earlier, with thanksgiving, with thanks. You know, a lot of times, I think sometimes we just keep repeating prayers instead of just saying, Lord, here is what we need. We need this, Lord. We need your involvement in our finances. We need your involvement in our health. And we put it out there and we do it from our heart and we do it in thanksgiving and we just start thanking him and thanking him that he's got his hands all over this. His heart's all over it. He is, he's got a plan in the middle of it and just start moving into thanks. It develops your faith. It serves others. When you are grateful to others and you start finding gratefulness, reasons in your life to be grateful, you find it so easy to have an outflow towards other people. Just to serve. Just, just to demonstrate value to them. That's what gratefulness does. And it is a witness to people who don't know Jesus. Because it's not found in this world. Not this. In all circumstances, the benefits of gratitudes are these. It keeps me in God's will. He says, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. What? To be thankful. 
A lot of people, well, I've got what's, what's your will here? I don't, know what, I don't know what to do here. Do we move? Do I take the new job? What do we do? What do we do with the kid? What do we do, Lord, on this decision economically? I need, I need uh, Lord, just kind of your will to be known to me. And, and, and you're, you're already going to number two and number three, and you need to go to number one, and you need to understand number one is in all your circumstances, be thankful. That's his will. And I find that when I move into that and I'm accomplishing will number one, which is he wants me to be thankful in all circumstances, to give thanks in all circumstances, I find finding and figuring out his will in all these other areas, it just clears up. Gratitude also makes us better, not bitter. Gratitude takes control of your soul and it's like it builds around it a wall of resistance. It sets it up and says it resists all bitter darts that want to come against it because you're so filled with gratefulness for God's grace in your own life. You can find an outflow of grace even when you're treated very wrongly in this world. You can have walls that protect your soul from bitterness. Bitter soul is a, is a source of all bad things. Uh, but through your simple gratitude. He can make it better. He can make you better. Another thing it does is it defeats the devil directly. See, here's how Satan works with you. He wants to stir you up. He wants you getting all kind of worked up over whatever. He doesn't care what the subject matter is. As long as he can get you worked up and your spirit worked up and he gets you into this competing fighting that this world uh, tends to thrive on, if, if, if he can somehow get you distracted in that, that is his whole game plan. He wants to control your thinking. He wants to get at your thinking. He wants to disturb your contentment. He doesn't want you content. He doesn't want you uh, in a state without worry. He wants you to worry. He doesn't want you to be praying about everything and giving thanks. He's not. And here's what he hates the most is because this shuts him down immediately is when your soul and your mind go to gratitude then when you're going to gratitude and you're saying lord thank you that you look after the sparrows when they fall you got me right now i'm not going to be controlled by this my soul's not going to get embittered by this then what happens is satan hates that he just hates it because he can't penetrate gratefulness Thanksgiving to God, to others, makes your soul strong and gives you a coating that refuses to allow the stuff that Satan wants to throw in, the darts. It talks about the fiery darts. He wants those implanted as deep as he can get them, but he can't get them in a grateful heart. It's not possible. But if you're sitting in a marriage and like all marriages, you got the mountains, you got the valleys and you're in a valley and you got nothing but negative thoughts 
and gratefulness is not something you are not incorporating, then I want to tell you that you are at high risk for fiery darts. They will penetrate to your core. They will bring bitterness with them and you will start to have a change inside that's not for the good. You need to be grateful. You say, but it's not going as what I want it to go. It's not where it should be. Find what you can be grateful for in your relationship with God and find what you can be grateful for in the person that you are married to. Well, Lord, they're very rude to me. They are disrespectful to me, but you know, I guess they, if I really thought about it, there are some things. But you're almost afraid to name them, aren't you? You're not weakening your position. You're strengthening your own soul by saying, they're stuck in some stuff that hurts me. But you know, there's some good there. What's the good? What can you be grateful for? This brings great stuff to your soul. And then finally, it will even cause miracles, gratefulness. It causes miracles. Jesus' friend, he was a friend. He had stayed at their house, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' home in Bethany, just outside Jerusalem, about four miles. <clears throat> he had stayed there from time to time, and Lazarus got sick, and then he died because Jesus didn't come right away, but when he got there, he got all the wailing and all of that, and he said, like, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this, Mary? Martha, do you believe that I'm the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that? When he prays for Lazarus to come forth from the tomb, which he did, he called him out. This is just before his own crucifixion. When he calls for Lazarus to come, here's how his prayer starts off. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. What an interesting way to start a prayer. He says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. In a way, you could take that a couple different ways. Was he saying, Mary and Martha, they hear, but they don't hear. People around here, Lord, they hear, but they're not hearing. I am the resurrection and the life. And it also can be taken this way. Father, you're watching over all of us and you hear this prayer. You've already heard it. When you start off praying, start off reminding yourself who you're talking to and he's already heard you. He's already attentive to you. And when you get grateful that you've got a father in heaven that listens to you, hears you, I mean grateful. I don't mean just a quick, oh, thank you, you're there. I mean grateful to your core that without this in your life, where would you be? When you start engaging with thankfulness and you get the power of gratitude built in your life, 
you will find it will work with all these other things we've talked about and it will reset the table of life for you. So if you want to make a better life, here's what you need to do as I finish this. You got an awesome opportunity right now and going into this week because before you're going to set a better life, you better take an inventory of the life you have with a thankfulness meter and to start looking at it instead of through all the issues and unsolved problems and incomplete circles of life, you're looking at it for what God has done for you, how he looks after you and how good he is and you start doing a gratefulness meter for three people in your life. Do it, do it this week. Just three people in your life. Do it this week. Who are three people in your life? You're so grateful that they are there. And write down a little bit. Why are you grateful that they are there? Why are you thankful that they are in your life? They're not perfect. They've got their issues. But that gratefulness is going to reset the table of your life. Now you can build a better life. But not until you really understand you need to get grateful about what's in your life right now. You build on gratefulness into your future. Without gratefulness, you're only looking at a table and saying, I'm not grateful. I'm not thankful. This has to happen first. You have to look after the worry, Lord, but give me no problems in this life. No, I don't need to pray about everything. Folks, reset the table. Get ready for the better life by getting in touch with the present life in the healthy way that you can. And the only way you can do it is go down the gratefulness track. I have found if I've worked with people and I can get their minds you know, finding and discovering gratefulness in their life that the problems that they come to talk to me about or whatever we're working on start to really go down because the gratefulness comes in and is releasing all of the best of things into their life. It is repositioning their soul. It is allowing them to look through different lenses. They're not looking at life as bad anymore. They're looking in fact at the opportunities that even negative things can bring to grow and for God, God to work in us. That we start to see things different. And how does that happen? Gratefulness, gratefulness. One simple thing, be grateful. Okay, who are you gonna talk to? Three, who are you gonna write to? Who are you gonna write just a couple sentences to? I'm just so grateful. I'm just so grateful for you. I'm very thankful you're in my life. I'm thankful about this with you. What is it? Let's stand together. As we close in prayer, we just sang a really beautiful song at the, the last song that you guys sang, Marcel, if you can hear me, uh, was a beautiful song. And the words are, are beautiful. And I, I'd like you to do that one if that's possible. Um to finish off here. But I want, I want you just in your minds with me to do something. I want to take you somewhere right now. I want to take you to our Father. I want you to join with me and let's go to our Father. And I want you to come with the things right now that are causing you to worry. That it, it, it's not just, it's just been there. 
and you can't just seem to shake the worry. Maybe it's economic stuff, relational stuff. It really doesn't matter the source of this. I, I, it, it's just bit you that much. I, I want to take those things. I, I want to take where you know that your mind and your thinking has gone to the lowest valley on things and this hasn't chosen the high road. I, I, I want you to where, where contentment is something you've always put off to when in their thinking, some, sometime there, or when this happens. I, I would love for you to take some of that to him right now, but we're going to go with a prayer, and it's going to be God with... I'm choosing gratefulness. I have so overlooked gratefulness in my life. I've let these other things just take over and crowd it out. Here, here's one thing I really know about gratefulness. Gratefulness and grace go together. When you're grateful, it's because of grace. And when you're grateful, you can give grace. Choose something. And maybe I'd like you to take somebody also that's just you need to demonstrate gratefulness to. Because you need to put some protection around your soul. And you need to start working gratefulness towards people that are done harm or do harm. You got to work gratefulness in what you're going through. Not for. In. Fathers, we bow our heads before you. We are so grateful that you hear our prayers. We're very grateful, Lord, for your love for us and the grace which we get to live in because of Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross. We are so grateful in post-Easter here that we are walking out of tombs, that life awaits and a full life at that. Father, restore gratefulness to our heart. Pray that prayer. Just in the quiet. Restore gratefulness to my heart. I choose to take gratefulness to the toughest things in my life right now. And find what I can be grateful for in the midst of them. In the midst of them. Not for them, but in the midst of them. I choose gratefulness. I thank you that as I work gratefulness, you are resetting the table of my life. I have so much today. I'm blessed so deeply and richly. I have an opportunity to live well today. Thank you for your goodness to us, Father. May your spirit walk with us on this and may we really not let go of this. Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you find this program helpful or would like to learn more, please give us a call 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurch.com.
gp.com.